The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Before any of that, we're going to kick things off with our afternoon update, uh, catching you up on all that has happened uh, today. And joining me for the afternoon update, uh, Kieran Cunningham, Chief Sports Writer with the Irish Daily Star, and Brianna Parkins, journalist and columnist with the Irish Times. Um, you're both very welcome. We're going to talk a little bit about that survey I mentioned about uh, chatty taxi journeys and uh, basketball Ireland. Uh, but first, um, Kieran, uh, kind of another day, another story about a building burned down, a building where it was rumoured locally that the plan was to house asylum seekers and other migrants. Yeah, no, it's it's become depressingly familiar. Like this is the second in just the space of a couple of days. And uh, I think it's over 20 now over the last couple of years. And there does seem to be an acceleration and these kind of attacks. And it's very, you know, they're, they're, I don't think there's been one anybody but before the courts no. in connection with any of them. Like it's very hard like we're, you were talking off air and Kieran, you were saying there's very hard to get convictions for arson. But it is, it, it doesn't even seem to be now that you need the fact of uh, it being used as a direct provision centre. You only need the rumour for a body of a building to be built down. And it's remarkable the change as well because there's huge problems with the direct provision system, like the the... the the, the conditions that a lot of uh, a lot of the people have to live in, the kind of meals they 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 are allowed, etc. But now you know that the, there's a, people who want to even deprive them of that, and know, and while they're going through the process, mm. it seems they would rather them be on the street, which is terrible. Uh, Leo Varadkar and others in government, Brianna, have have warned that I mean this will ultimately end up with loss of life. And, and it's hard to think that's not hyperbole. I mean, you go into any of these derelict buildings, not any of them, but a lot of them around the country, you'll find evidence of people sleeping rough in them. You'll find evidence of drug use in them. So these these are not buildings that are empty all the time. It's just that people are not living in them. Like the great Taylor Swift said, I think I've seen this all before and I didn't like the ending. Um, I've been covering the far right actual kind of uh, what I would call neo-Nazis, the ones with the swastikas tatted on their head. Um, I covered that for a long time in Australia. And, you know, we're a country that has had waves of migration. It's actually benefited our economy. People think that we're a wealthy country because of our very valuable debt. It's not. It's because we've had a steady stream of immigration. Um, But, you know, you do see a backlash when you do see the, the last stream or the last group of people come in um, and it's very targeted and it does bring up these issues. Now, there was protests over the weekend and we saw people marching in front of, sorry, behind, holding out Islanders' full banners. And, you know, looking at the speeches and also the comments online, sort of from the I'm not racist but brigade of argument, is that we should be able to decide who immigrates to this country and under what circumstances. And, you know, there's issues around resourcing which is quite a reasonable argument. But when you're standing behind a banner that says Island is full, I don't think that's the point that you're making. And it's interesting, I think a lot of the arguments they're bringing up around housing, you know, how's the Irish first? These are issues about resourcing, not necessarily immigration. So, you know, these are issues that have been longstanding before we started to see a trickle of um, asylum seekers coming into the country. These are issues around not having enough GPs in communities, not having enough school spaces, not having the resources that the government should have provided before all of this started. So I think it's the anger is misdirected. Yeah, it's uh, dep- what did you describe it as, Kim? Depressingly familiar, uh, this yeah, story. Depressingly, we'll be talking about it. Yeah. Again, this is the, sec- are, this yeah, the second arson attack this week. Yeah, and uh, if you look at, um, you know, there the, 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 was a major 
anti-immigration march on Monday in Dublin. And I was actually in the cinema in town. I didn't realise it was on. When I left it, it was, it was after the march was over, but I was walking down Talbot Street and at the junction of Gardner Street, there was a huge amount of guards and public order mm. uh, guards and public order vans. And so there were some protesters there with their flags and their banners as well. And they'd kind of been a splinter group and they'd gone to... And it, it struck me that they went to Gardner Street. There's a lot of direct provisional centres on Gardner Street. You know, and it's not... Like, what were they going to do? Like, I'm glad the guards were there. Yeah. Nothing happened. But what did they... What did, What were they going to try and do on Gardner Street? You know, it didn't really make... Mo- yeah, bear thinking I mean, about. It, it doesn't bear thinking about. And unfortunately, we will be uh, talking about it um, again. We might come back to it a little bit later in the show as well, if any more detail emerges about this particular fire, the second such fire uh, in a week, this one in Leak Slip. Um, Basketball Ireland. So there are fresh calls now for this game to be boycotted. Um, there had been calls over the last few weeks. We heard some calls from former players on this show uh, as well. But then photos emerged this week of the Israeli team posing with uh, armed members of the IDF, the Israeli Defence Forces, as well at a sports hall in Tel Aviv. So they, the calls have been renewed, Brianna. Do you think the game should be boycotted? I mean, I know that the the basketball chief has come out and said, look, it won't achieve anything. And in real terms, maybe not. But also to add a bit of context to the situation, we don't know whether that basketball, those basketball players felt comfortable posing with the IDF or whether they were instructed to pose with the IDF. And also we have to remember that, you know, military service is compulsory for for Israelis. So there's a good chance that some of them would have been members of the IDF or had family who were in the IDF. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they're supportive of their government's actions. Um, but also, you know, you see comments going, you know, sport shouldn't be political, which is you know, if you know anything about the history of sport, you know that that's not true. The, the two have always been intertwined. Sport has always been a theatre for making, you know, comments about the geopolitics, racial issues, anything that's been going on at the time. So I think it's up to the players, the Irish basketball players, to make that decision, to make that call. They're the ones who have put in the time training. They're the ones who have gotten to that level. If they're comfortable making that call, then that they should be able to make that call. Oh, I feel... Really sorry for the players. Yeah, in that and actually, I don't agree, Brian, on that. I think it's the governing bodies that should make this call. Both Basketball Ireland and FIBA, the international governing body. I think FIBA in particular have been pathetic in the way they've dealt with this. Like they've been asked about one specific photograph was of the Israeli women's team training and a machine gun placed deliberately at the side of the court, like so it's front and centre for the photograph. And that's a photograph that's officially been released. So I think uh, the Israelis have very much politicised and weaponised the match and they're using it as a propaganda exercise. And for that reason, uh, Basketball Ireland have have gone through a really turbulent 13, 14, 15 years because of, uh, there, there was uh, there were a million euro in debt and there were issues over where funds went. And because of that, they weren't allowed to field international teams for a number of years. So they've only got back on board international stage a couple of years. So there is a concern you could get a five-year suspension for this and that there could be major fines and they don't actually have that money. But I think they have a strong case because of the Israelis' behaviour, particularly around the photographs and the press conference, that they have turned, they propagandised it and yeah. they can say we should not play because of this. Um, uh, Brianna, I suspect you're right when you say, uh, or when others say, you know, what difference would it make? I don't think kind of this game going ahead or not is going to uh, put a, a, a halt to Benjamin Netanyahu's gallop. At the same time, you could have said the same thing about Dunstore's workers or the handful of Irish rugby players who refused to tour apartheid South Africa. Yet we look back on them as the heroes of the story. But they were the players making that decision. 
They were the ones, again, who put their bodies on the line, who had their careers on the line, and I think it should ultimately be their call. I think if a governing body made that decision, you'd be taking the playing opportunity away from someone who actually did want to play. Um, that's why it should be left up to the players, not because I particularly, you know, think that we should play Israel, uh, to make that clear. But, you know, like I come from a long history of, you know, sport being used to make statements about race, particularly about Aboriginal people in Australia. You know, we were there when... We, I wasn't there, sorry, but we talked about um, the boycotts of the Springboks tour. That was a big thing in Australia and New Zealand. Um, and again, I think sport is a really powerful tool in setting those messages, the, the boycott of the Moscow Olympics. But I do also think it's up to the individual athletes themselves to make that call. Yeah, and at least five of them have made that call. Yeah. They will buy, they are buy. Uh, just in relation to the previous thing we talked about, this is a kind of slightly terrifying text from Shane and Kerry. A beautiful period house in my town is being restored by a family as a family home, but the owner had to contact the guards this morning after the usual far-right racist had a post on social media last night saying it was going to be used for asylum seekers and that hopefully it would be burned to the ground. What an ordeal for the family. Our community-friendly, welcoming town, many nationalities and these horrible people spreading rumours don't speak uh, for our town, uh, says Shane and Kerry, which speaks to a point one of you made about kind of reality not, or facts not getting yeah, in the way of these like things a, being not, A very high-profile figure, you know, did, did go on social media a few months back about, you know, we should burn the burn stuff down, so we're not going to get into that, but <laughs> you can figure it out. You don't, yeah, you don't have to dig too deep to figure out. Don't, um, don't call the lawyers just yet. <laughs> but just in terms of that text saying that these are horrible people, I don't know if everyone that's been caught up in this is a horrible person. I think some very mm. smart people who care about maybe the future of their children, they're worried that they can't get medical appointments. They, they're living with the daily frustrations of an underserved system. Yeah. And now they suddenly have someone to blame for that that isn't as nebulous as the government they voted for or perhaps didn't bother to vote against. So now you have this very clear, like, here's the problem. These guys are causing it all. We need to stop this. You know, it's giving them yeah. a clear channel and that's being exploited by far right leaders. Yeah, I do think COVID and lockdown has impacted on, on a lot of people that it's, I think maybe they were online a little bit too much and, and corners of the internet, you shouldn't really go down. And they, 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 they hoovered up a lot of conspiracy theories. And if you do see the a lot of the people who are campaigning against migrants or anti-vaccine and, you know, they're... they're uh, oh, the Fed you know, diagram. They're, 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 it's just yeah, a circle. Yeah, yeah. So I think... Um, they're being manipulated by uh, malicious forces in many ways. I think, and a lot of this does come from the American culture wars, and it has been manufactured. Speaking of culture wars, so th this is an item we're coming back to after five o'clock. I found it fascinating. Um, it, it's from. It takes a bit, little bit of explaining. So, if people would bear with me, essentially, King's College London they carried out this research, published it. It was actually the start of last week. Flew under the radar a little bit, but what they found is, and they were comparing uh, generational attitudes, uh, and what they found is that. As the generations uh, uh, go by, they get people get more progressive and more liberal, generally speaking. You know, there's obviously exceptions to it. But they started with baby boomers who were followed by Gen X, Gen X, more progressive and liberal. They're replaced by millennials, generally speaking, more progressive and liberal. And then you get to Gen Z, women, more progressive, more liberal. And then the arrow goes the opposite direction altogether for men. Not only are they more so-called traditional and conservative than they would be expected to be following trends. They're actually, Brianna, more conservative and traditional than previous generations. A more negative attitude to feminism amongst teenage boys than men over 60, for example. Yeah, this does not surprise me. 
actually. Um, there's been a rise of what we call the edge lords of the internet, which is, you know, it's cool to say horrific things. It started on 4chan, really, and it's migrated across to Reddit, and now it's on Discord, where essentially it was really cool to say horrific things about feminism or race or disability to be like, oh, I'm anti-PC, anti-edgy. That's how you be punk. Whereas like traditionally, you know, the, the younger generations would have been more socially conscious and that's how they rebelled against their parents. There's also a rebellion against, you know, modern day parents by going the other way and being really horrifically So the parents are too woke. Is that the idea? Well, and the, is, and the, the teenagers are anti-woke. I don't even think they're woke. And again, I don't necessarily believe that a lot of these teenagers necessarily believe that. It's just sort of they're being swept up in the the attitude and the appearance of being a little edgelord. But anyway, I also think it also hints at the possibility that there is a backlash towards uh, the progression of women in society. I often joke with my partner, it's like, man, like, wouldn't you, you're a white man, you would have had it the best 30 years ago. You would have come home from work. I would have had dinner for you already, maybe 40 years ago. You know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't have had to do nothing. And I would have, like, I would have had to come home and then still make the dinner. And we often joke you, about you it. You don't do those things for no, Brianna. I don't. I'm terrible. I'm awful. You shock me. I know. Um, he, he'll survive, though. He lives. <laughs> He's not being abused, don't worry, um, by making his own dinner. But... I think young men have cottoned on to that and gone, hang on a second, The what it means to be a man is changing and it changes you know, from generation to generation. So now it isn't necessarily being a breadwinner because more women are entering the workforce and costs are being split 50-50. There's, economically, it doesn't make sense for, uh, well, it's not possible for one partner to go off for work and one to stay home and mind the house. Two partners have to be working. They're now being expected to take on household chores. They're now being expected to take on childcare chores. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to do that. And well, yeah. I feel like men in my generation in particular who are a little bit older in the 30s, they're quite happy for women to split costs 50-50 with us, but they don't want to pick up 50-50 of the housework. So I think that is where sort of this backlash is coming into it. Kieran, are you an edgelord of the internet? <laughs> God, great title, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, 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 I it kind of speaks, though, to the popularity of those edge, the Andrew yeah, Tates and yeah. the Jordan Petersons of this yeah, world. Yeah, absolutely. And, because, and, you know, I was even thinking this in sporting terms, like um, when I was younger, you know, the, this, the great sporting hero here was Paul McGrath, like through the late 80s and, and the 90s then. And he, he's a very kind, decent, he's a flawed human being, but a very kind, decent, empathetic, uh, very likeable guy. But the guy who took over for him a few years later as the, the biggest Irish sporting hero was Conor McGregor, who was a strutting uh, guy who was seen as an alpha male. Um, if you criticised him online or, or questioned the worth of the sport, you got the same insults that the undertake, the edgelord types give you, you cock, soy boy, that kind of stuff. And... Uh, I find it a bit strange because, like, I'm 57, so I started, co- I was in college 85 to 89, and that was a time there was a lot of um, turmoil and upheaval in Ireland in terms of, you know, divorce and operation mm. referendum. Student union officers were put before the courts and threatened with prison for giving out phone numbers for abortion refer- uh, information in London. And there was, uh, it was quite uh, liberal. Young people were becoming more liberal. And I think uh, I went to London in the early 90s to work. And I think a lot of the, the change that happened in London and the UK, and UK around that time came to Ireland as well. And it became lad culture came in, you know, around Britpop and, uh, you know, the, the whole Chris Evans kind of going on the booth. Thank 
what was it called? Thank Thank Friday. Uh, Thank his his Friday chat show, whatever. Uh, but, uh, T T T F I Friday. T G I Friday. T G I. One of them is a restaurant. One of them is his show. Yeah, but all that kind of stuff. Gaza and the and the dentist chair. You know, both could be poured down his mouth. But that that became the norm, and I think. Where did it come from? Like, I, I honestly think Rupert Murdoch was a big part of it, the, the Murdoch media. That's when it became really strong in terms of TV as well as papers around the world. And they did push that, you know, kind of aggressive, traditional male. And they even... Uh, Women were encouraged to go the same way with the, the, the Ladette nonsense, yeah. which yeah. eventually burned out very quickly, thanks, because it was such... Stupidity, I think, to be honest. I think that that felt that then led into like the 2000s Paris Hilton Playboy Bunny over sexualization of women being seen as empowering. Like pole dancing is empowering. That led into that. And then we swung back the other way into going, hang on a second. Yeah, but if you're, say, you, you talked in the in context of the, the migrant discussion about kind of, say, malign actors who will misdirect anger. Like if, yeah. if, if, if you were somebody who wanted to reverse some of the progress that we would describe as kind of progressive and liberal in this country around kind of abortion and marriage and everything in the last few years. I mean, this is the exact generation you'd be targeting in terms of yeah. misdirecting that anger, right? You're frustrated. You've got a confused sense of masculinity. You don't have as clear a cut, maybe a sense of your role as your previous generations had. You know what? You need to push back. We need to push yeah. back. And in 15, 20 years time, we'll have another referendum. I think it's also about accountability. So, you know, having those conversations around consent, being aware that men do perpetrate the majority of domestic and family violence. And it's like, well, hang on, we don't want our boys to feel bad. And I understand that it must be tough to be, a, you know, a parent of a young boy and have to have those conversations, but don't avoid them because you're worried it's going to make them feel bad. You know what I mean? That's where a lot of the backlash is coming from. And in terms of, you know, when we when we talk about you know, being that lost in that masculinity and it's like, well, hang on, just being the breadwinner and coming home, putting your feet up isn't enough anymore. You do have to take a active participation in your children's lives where it's like they don't have the blueprint for that necessarily because their father didn't do it. And I feel like when you're a young woman, teenage woman growing up, you are acutely aware of gender differences, not because women are smarter than men. It's just because we have to face up to the realities much earlier. We're sometimes catcalled. Like I was catcalled at 11. You know what I mean? I saw my mum do all the housework and I was like, oh, I don't want that happened to me. Whereas young boys are sort of protected a little bit from that. So don't really understand the implications of what Tate and Jordan Peterson are saying. Yeah, but at the root of that is yeah. nostalgia. There's an obsession with nostalgia now and that has been pushed as part of the culture war, that there, there was an idealised time when women knew their place and men were the breadwinner and men were all alpha males and silverbacks or whatever you want to call them. And even though people who don't remember that and know, uh, know it was a very, like particularly in this country, if you hark back to what the way things were 30, 40 years ago, it's not something you want to go back to. But I think there is this misplaced nostalgia. And you should always remember that up to the mid 19th century, nostalgia was classed as a disease. And there were cures. <laughs> One of the cures for it was the placing of leeches to suck your blood. So it's, it's not a good road to go down. Bring back leeches. Oh, my God. Uh, Tom on uh, migrants says, could the mainstream media, oh, you know where this is going, oh, stop misinformation? Informing people and spreading disinformation. Huge numbers of people coming into a borderless country is bound to have huge negative impacts on housing and hospitals and schools and other services for the people already in the country. Disingenuous to say otherwise. No wonder mainstream media hate social media where diverse opinions are allowed. The mainstream media have liberal ideologies and their agendas are to manipulate public opinion, says Tom. Tom, far be it from me to criticise any opinion you have. You're as entitled to them as anyone. One little, little thing I would pick up. We're not borderless. We have one borderless part of this country and it's a jurisdiction 
on the other side that is proposing to send people to Rwanda when they turn up uh, without their papers. So we're not bored. I mean, everything else, like I say, you're entitled to your opinion, Tom. Thank you for the text. 087-1400-106. Brianna Parkins, journalist, columnist with the Irish Times, Kieran Cunningham, chief sports writer with the Irish Daily Star. Thank you both very much uh, for joining me. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.